Welcome to Sage Spirituality. Reach back, lean in, and seek out a deeper relationship with God as we journey through the Gospels with your host, Joel Marvin. Welcome to another episode of Sage Spirituality. I'm your host, Joel Marbet, and we're continuing our journey through the Gospels. I want to thank you guys for coming to the table today and continuing to help us by sharing uh, with everyone that you can come in contact with about our community here at Sage Spirituality. I'm positive that you guys, each one, has someone that needs what we're sharing here at the table. Just invite them to come on in. You can do it through a uh, uh, just a personal invitation. Uh, you can do it by sharing uh, on your Facebook or on your social media, but you can also do it uh, simply by liking our podcast and giving us a rating, and that helps us move up in our visibility. However you choose to do it, I just want to thank you right now for being a part of our community. Now, as we're journeying through the Gospel of Mark together, I, I just want to take a moment and lay a little bit of a foundation for us to be able to uh, move forward because I think it's so very important for us not to cherry pick when we're reading the Gospels. That's one of the greatest errors that I see Christians uh, see Christians do. They just find something, they grab onto it, and they hold onto it as if it is contextualized, as if uh, they have a full understanding of it. And I'm not discounting the fact that the Holy Spirit can kind of speak to us individually, but I think so many times we miss we miss a richness and a depth that the Holy Spirit's trying to bring into our lives simply because we refuse to look at the context. It's kind of like uh, I heard this <laughs> the other day that a scientist was uh, doing a, a, a news briefing and uh, and the scientist made this proclamation. He said, "My findings are meaningless if taken out of context." The very next day. The newspaper headlines around the world read, media, <laughs> scientist claims findings are meaningless. Well, the scientist didn't claim that his findings were meaningless. He just said if they're taken out of context in a sheer twist of irony. And you know, I wonder how many times maybe we have Jesus shaking his head because we refuse to see the context of what he's saying uh, throughout his life when he was here on earth. We have such a rich incredible mind to pull these treasures out of, and we shouldn't just be satisfied with one small nugget, uh, but we should try to get the entire vein of what was being spoken. Now, that being said, what I have to do before we go any further is we need to refer back to our last episode, which was Jesus talking to his disciples about becoming fruitful, about the need for them to break up the fallow ground, remove the rocks, move all the the thing, the obstacles that were going to cause them to not be fruitful, to not allow the seed of the word of God to take root in their life. And at that, it, you know, he he got to a place where he said, "There are there are some people that are going to hear the gospel that are just not going to grab it. There are some people who have not been prepared. The soil has not been tilled. It hasn't been broken up. It's not ready to receive the word of God." There's even Christians who are going to receive the Word of God and it's going to take root, but it's going to get choked out by the worries and the cares of this world. And uh, what we're what we're looking at right here is Jesus is talking to those particularly. He continues the conversation, so it would be. 
he continues the conversation to those who receive the word and produce fruit, those who produce 30, 60, 100 fold, those who open their lives up to the gospel and they're completely open to what God is trying to do in their life. And, uh, and it's at this moment that we pick up Mark chapter 4, verse 21 through 25. And right here, he pivots the metaphor. It's just a, it's just a continuation of the same conversation. He's talking uh, to those who would grab onto the word of God and at that moment, listen to what he says. He, he, he said to him, Do you bring in a lamp and put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, you put it on its stand. And, whenever, and whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure of you use, it will be measured to you, and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. Now, what we see here, again, is a pivot in the metaphor. Jesus is continuing the conversation to those who become fruitful. And he says, if you become fruitful, if you open yourself up, you remove the rock, you, you don't allow uh, temporary circumstances to rob what I'm trying to do eternally in your life, if you genuinely create depth in your spiritual life, it's like a lamp being lit or a candle being lit. And it's so, so important. Let's just go through this. We're going to take all five of these verses in sequence here and just kind of go a little bit deeper into the conversation Jesus is trying to have with those who are fruitful. He, he asks them a question. He says, do you bring in a lamp and put it under a bowl or a bed? He said, instead, don't you put it on its stand? Now, what I love here is Jesus is kind of dissipating or dissolving any type of uh, private uh, closet Christianity here. He's saying, if you become fruitful, you're not becoming fruitful. I'm not lighting the light of the, of, of the grace of God in your life. I'm not lighting the lamp in your life so that you can hide it under a bed or you can hide it in a closet. Uh, how absolutely ridiculous would it be for you to walk into someone's house and to find the table lamp sitting under the table or I mean I mean if you walked into that situation you just think man this person there's something wrong uh, I, I'm probably want to get out of this room pretty quickly yet there are Christians who actually believe that well you know what God is doing in my life is simply it's just strictly something that's completely private in between me and God now your salvation is between you and God. You know what? Paul said it in the book of Galatians. He said, let us work out our, our salvation with fear and trembling. That's something very intimate and very one-on-one, -on -one, and God does indeed deal with you directly. Yet, when he has dealt with you, it's not strictly just to deal with you. He does it with an incredible purpose. Now, a great example of this we can find coming out of the, the, the English Civil War. I'm kind of a history nerd, and I absolutely positively love this part of history where the royalists and the roundheads fought for several years, and and finally it ended up that uh, Oliver Cromwell in uh, his in uh, his roundheads and his parliamentarians they they uh, triumphed over the king of England, and uh, rather than subjecting himself, uh, Charles I was beheaded, and for a period of time England was without a king. 
and Oliver Cromwell became the Lord Protector of England, and that means that he was basically like a prime minister. He was a leader over all the land, a president, if you will, and uh, and I'm not saying he was for or against or whatever. You know, it was it was kind of a tough situation, sticky circumstances there. But a funny story comes out of it that really has a great application to us, especially to those who would believe that there are Christians who should live their life in a closet. Now, during the time of uh, Oliver Cromwell, there was a shortage of silver. And during that shortage of silver, he sent out his workers and his, uh, and they, they were just looking for silver to mint coins. Back in those times, they didn't have paper money. Everything was either gold or silver. And uh, as they went around the entire countryside, looking around England, around Wales, Scotland, they were looking for silver that they could pull into the mint and make new coins. They were having a hard time. And finally, one of his workers came to him and he reported, he said, the only silver we can find is in the statues of the saints standing in the corners. Now, these are statues of saints that had been piled up in corners because we know that Henry VIII had done away with the Catholic Church. Basically, at this point, it became illegal for Catholics to operate inside of England. And uh, so all of the churches were taken over and brought into the Church of England, and uh, they pretty quickly did away with all of the icons and the things like that, and they piled them up in the corner. So there were these stacks of silver saints standing over in the corner. And uh, and it's said, you know, no one knows for sure. We don't have a, a, a recording of Cromwell saying it, but it was said that Cromwell responded, good, we'll melt down the saints and put them into circulation. You know, I, I know this is, this even talking about context, it's a little bit of a twisting of a context, but, you know, that's really what Jesus is saying to his disciples here, is he's saying, I didn't call you and I didn't light the work of God in your life so that you could stand in a corner or that you could hide under a table or that you could be, uh, you could possibly be in covert. You could, uh, you could be undercover and, uh, and, and slide around undetected. He said, absolutely not. When I'm doing a work in your life, when the light of God is in your life, it will become evident to other people. Now, Tertullian said this, and this is a word from one of our early church fathers, and he was saying this during a time when it was dangerous to be a Christian. You know, a lot of us think, well, it's really dangerous these days. We have nothing on church history, friends. If you want to see what danger was, go back to the first three centuries of the church, and you'll see an entire congregation, you'll see entire congregations that were willing to lay down their life because of the cause of Christ. I don't mean they were willing to sacrifice, give up their job, maybe uh, maybe do away with their Twitter account or stop going to Disney or whatever great Christian cause is going on these days. Um, I can tell you wholeheartedly, these were men and women that were willing to lay down their life because of their witness. And listen to what Tertullian, who actually laid down his life, listen to what he says to his church. He says, why does the Lord call us the light of the world? Why has he compared us to a city on a hill? Are we not called to shine in the midst of darkness and stand up high for those most sunk down? If you hide your lamp beneath the bushel, you will soon notice that you yourself will be in the dark. You will find others bumping into you. So what can you do to illumine the world? Let your faith produce good works. Be a reflection of God's light. The good is not preoccupied with darkness. 
It rejoices in being seen. It exalts over the very pointings which are made at it. Christian modesty not only wishes to be modest, but it also wishes to be beheld as what it actually is. What an amazing comment. What an amazing comment in an incredibly tumultuous time. There are many Christians who now think, wow, this is a time for us just to kind of keep my mouth shut on my campus. It's a time for me to keep my mouth shut. But I want you to see something here. Tertullian is not talking about becoming an overbearing, arrogant Christian who uh, who feels the need to criticize or feels the need to interject political uh, polity into conversations. They're absolutely not. What Tertullian is saying is directly what Jesus is saying. You're going to do amazing works that are going to glorify me and my Father. Now, we're going to do this through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I love what Tertullian said, and maybe it's never had more of an application that does right now in the 21st century in our lives. He said, the good is not preoccupied with darkness. It rejoices in being seen. You know, I see way too many Christians getting tripped up because of the darkness when we're called to be light. Now, there are way too many Christians who receive grace and never share grace. They don't understand that the reason God's given them the grace in their life to begin with is to be able to share it with others. Not to be, again, not to be able to be obnoxious and give necessarily a a Roman's road, and I'm not against those things, but not to be able to uh, be an obnoxious, over-the-top Christian. But listen to what Mother Teresa said. She said, God gives us things to share. God doesn't give us things to hold. God's given you what he's given you to be able to share with other people. Now, Philip Yancey, a modern author who's taught me phenomenally about grace, he said, we respond to healing grace by giving it away to others. Our greatest response to healing grace, so the grace God's putting in our life, is to be able to give it to other people, actually becoming a conduit for it to rise to the life of other people. Now, grace makes you gracious. The giver makes you give. That's from a great Methodist missionary, E. Stanley Jones. What an incredible testimony. Grace makes you gracious. The giver makes you give. But what about those people that don't want to receive the grace that we're trying to give to them? What about the people that want to reject it? They don't want to hear what we have to say. Well, Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, you know what? If they try to take Christ out of Christianity, Christianity is dead. If they try to remove the grace out of the gospel, the gospel is gone. And if people don't want to hear what we have to say, then we got to keep saying it all the more. (laughs) We just got to keep shining more and more. Now, why is it needed for us to be these lamps set up on a, a candle stand or, or, or like another connotation in the book of Matthew when he taught this principle. When Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount, he called it a city set up on a hill. Why is that? Well, verse 22, we find it very, very clear. For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. We have to realize that the work that God is doing in our life is not meant to be hidden. There is not some type of celestial chicken soup for the soul, something that just, oh, it's just 
Uh, God's doing this work in my life just for me. Realistically, we have to understand anytime God is doing a work in our life, yes, indeed, it is for us. Yes, indeed, it is personal, but it is never absolutely positively private. It is always something that God's doing so that we might be able to share it in the life of other people. Now, Matthew Henry, uh, incredible Bible commentator, he says this, he just kind of takes this, this verse uh, of Mark 4.22, and he gives this little interpretation. He says, There is no treasure of gifts and graces lodged in any but with design to be communicated. Nor was the gospel made a secret to the apostles to be concealed, but that it should come abroad and be divulged to all the world. Though Christ expounded the parables to his disciples privately, yet it was with design to make them the more publicly useful, they were taught that they might teach. And it is a general rule that the ministration of the Spirit is given to every man to profit everyone, not himself only, but others also. See, whatever God's doing in your life, He's doing it so that you will share it. He wants you to become a candle lit so that other candles can be lit from your life. Now, we have to open up our eyes. Now, I want you to see here verse 23 and verse 24. Here, Jesus kind of looks at His disciples and He says, let's bear down here. He says, if anyone has ears to hear, let them listen. Let them hear. Consider carefully what you hear. He continued. No, he's telling him, he's like, listen, boy, come on, pay attention. This is the most important part. Don't miss what I'm about to tell you. I've just told you, you can become fruitful. I've just told you, when you do become fruitful, there's a light that's lit in, it, that's lit in your life, and it's meant to be seen by all, by, by through your good works. Now, when we see this, we have to understand that Jesus is telling us something even more important here. Why and what exactly is he trying to do? Why should we share all these works? And what is he trying to do through our effort of sharing what he's done in our life? He says this in verse 24, the second part. He says, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. I love this. You know what? Matthew Henry, again, makes an incredible statement. He says, as we deal with God, God deals with us. A great Bible commentator, a, 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 con, a contemporary of Matthew Henry, Dr. Hammond, he says this, he said, he, he absolutely said, he said, with what measure you meet it, it shall be measured to you. If ye be faithful servants to him, he will be faithful master to you. With the upright, he will show himself upright. What these two incredible Bible commentators are, are showing is that we have a reflexive relationship with God. We have this incredible reflexive relationship with God where we step into the relationship and God is absolutely responding to our action. Now, uh, I can't help but uh, read this and think about uh, what Charles Spurgeon said. Charles Spurgeon said these words. He said, in all of my years of service to my Lord, I have discovered a truth that has never failed and has never been compromised. That truth is that it is beyond the realm of possibilities that one has the ability to outgive God. Even if I give the whole of my worth to him, he will find a way to give back to me much more than I 
give. Now, what's beautiful here is it just sets us up. It sets us up. God has has commanded us to be a light, but he's done it for our benefit. He's not trying to just use you. He's not trying to turn you into some kind of uh, a thoughtless zombie. He's wanting to use you for an amazing purpose. He's wanting to give your life even greater value. And one of the greatest ways that we can find an even greater value is by being obedient to Him and feeling a reflexive relationship with Him. Now, I can't help but think about one of my favorite songs from the 90s by a, a little bit of a, of an edgy group called the New Radicals. They had, I think, only one hit, and the title of the hit was You Only Get What You Give. Very catchy tune that came out in the late 90s. And uh, and I was in my 20s, and I absolutely, I love this song. But the little tag, the little chorus that ran throughout the song is, you, you've got the music in you, don't let go. You've, only, you've got the music in you, one dance left. This world is going to pull through, don't give up. You've got a reason to live, can't forget. We only get what we give. You know, there's something eternal and true about that statement. I know it was written by uh, maybe some guys that don't hold my same views of, about God or, or morality or whatever, but you know, we really do only get what we give. God has called us into a reflexive relationship. And you know what's beautiful is He always gives us things that are better than what we deserve. The Bible tells us we know that, that we all deserve death, but He gave us life, He gave us salvation. But we have to receive that. And when we receive it, then we open up a conduit of grace. And every time he pours out grace into our life, he pours it out with a purpose of us being able to move it into the life of other people. Now, the second part of that verse is, is uh, of that whole thought is, is pretty important here. You know, whatever we've been given, when we use it for God, it increases. When we use it for God, it increases. It, it's not just the tit for tat, but it's actually multiplication that we're bringing into our life. We find an incredible example here of the Venerable Bede. He was one of the church fathers. He actually wrote the church, history of the English church about ninth century, more or less. And listen to what he says. He says, if you diligently endeavor to do all the good that you can and to teach it to your neighbors, the mercy of God will come in to give you both in the present life a sense to take in higher things and a will to do better things and will add for the future an everlasting reward. And therefore, it is all joined together and to you shall more be given. For sometimes a clever reader, by neglecting his mind, deprives himself of wisdom of which he tastes the sweetness who, though slow in intellect, works more diligently." What Bede's saying here is he's saying, listen, there are people in the church that have that have stumbled into this, this reality. The more that you attempt to reach out and be obedient to God, that you attempt to use what you have, the talents and the abilities that you have, the more they're going to multiply. The brighter your light is going to shine. Now, also in the same vein, we see in verse 25, for him that hath not, that doeth no good uh, with what he hath, so what he has will be taken from him, 
and given to him who has. Now, this is an absolute uh, uh, statement, just kind of stating, uh, if you want to call this just an anti-communistic statement by Jesus Christ, this is pretty, pretty clear, that if you don't try to use what you have, what you have will be taken away and given to someone who does have, someone who is producing. Now, Hippocrates, the great uh, medical philosopher, he actually said this. He said, that which is used develops, that which is not used wastes away. Now, we know that when we talk about muscles, all you have to do is look at someone that was an incredible athlete in their teens and their 20s and look at them when they're 50 years old if they haven't taken care of themselves and they haven't used those same muscles. They'd look completely different. Now, what we have to understand is if we don't use what we have, we lose it. It's just that clear, it, absolutely clear. Listen to what Clement of Alexandria said, one of the church fathers in the Eastern Church. He says, A well, when pumped regularly, produces pure water. If neglected and no one uses it, it changes into a source of pollution. Use keeps metal brighter, but disuse produces rust. For in a word, exercise produces a healthy condition both in souls and body. So no one lights a candle and puts it under a bowl, but upon a candlestick that it may give light. For what use is wisdom if it fails to make those who hear it wise? You realize that God has given you the talents and the abilities that you have to glorify himself. He's trying to use what you have. Now, there's some of you that want to come up with some type of uh, you know, and it's it's bred into the church ever so often, a false sense of humility. Um, and I agree in being humble. I think we must, as Christians, always posture ourselves from a posture of humility. I think pride may be uh, a big issue in our in our communities these days. We don't need to be afraid of confronting pride, and we don't need to be afraid of trying to uh, help young believers and even older believers step into a greater level of humility is something I try to teach my own kids because the Bible is very, very explicit when it says God uh, God exalts the humble and he humbles the exalted. Um, and I want to live in a place where God is exalting me and pulling me to a different level. Uh, I don't want to live a life of self-promotion. I want to live a life of God promotion. Now, but how do we prevent ourselves from falling into this, this trap of pride? You know, in the early church, they came up with the seven deadly sins. They kind of, if you never knew it, they kind of they were kind of laid out to uh, to go against the the fruit of the spirit, and uh, kind of like the converse, the opposite of all the fruits of the spirit are the the seven deadly sins. And you know, they kind of call it the base, maybe um, the foundation, the root of all evil is pride. And, uh, and that's true. Even today, I think we definitely suffer because of pride in our society. But how do I know? How do I know? Now, again, looking back at Matthew, 15, uh, Matthew 5, verse 15 and 16, we see this, uh, this same thought that we're covering right now, Mark chapter 4, the same parable used by Jesus when he was preaching the Sermon on the Mount. But we find Another little caveat that illuminates a little bit what he is expecting from us. He says, Neither do people light a lamp 
and put it under a basket. Instead, they set it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. Exact same verse. But look at the next verse. He said, In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, what that means is God wants to take uh, not only, you don't have to know how to preach, you don't have to know how to sing, you don't have to be uh, be up front. Some of the greatest Christians I've ever met were women who knew how to bake, and they baked cookies and put verses, they'd cut out Bible verses, put them in little baggies, and just hand them out to their family. I, I know that one of the greatest evangelists I've ever met was a plumber, just a commercial plumber, never got up and preached in front of people or anything else, just loved God and knew how to show his love to other people. Now, that being said, how do I keep myself from falling into pride? Here are a couple of questions I would ask you uh, when you're making a decision to do something. First of all, am I doing this to promote myself and get looks from others? Am I doing this to get a pat on the back? If I'm doing it to get a pat on the back, uh, or that, then, then I'm really doing it for the wrong reason. If I'm wanting people to see me and see what I'm doing and, 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 and glorify me, then I'm doing it for the wrong reasons. Because I have to ask myself a question, am I doing this to glorify God? And I really don't care who sees me doing it. I really don't care if I get a reward or if I get recognition here on earth. I just want to glorify God. You know, another couple of questions that we could ask is, am I willing to use any of the attention that may come my way? Now, remember, if you do a good deed for Jesus, it is going to attract attention. It is going to attract attention just like a candle in a dark night is going to attract attention. But when that attention comes to your life, are you really good at deflecting it to the one who brought the light to your life? Are you good at that? Are you good at when you do something and someone pats you on the back, you're able to point to Jesus and say, hey, that's where it came from. Now, I'm able. if I'm unable to do that, then I have to ask myself, am I content to allow people to think I'm the greatest thing since sliced bread? Am I content to think that people would glorify the candle over the fire that's burning in the candle? Realistically, a candle doesn't have very much use. It's You lay it out and... It's really worthless unless it's lit. And, uh, you know, that's that's the way our lives are. We really don't have very much value unless God has brought his grace into our life. And then all of a sudden, there's something beautiful that comes out of the ashes of our life. Am I willing to deflect the honor and the glory that I get in my life? Not to have a false sense of humility, but to genuinely glorify God and to be able to tell people the reason why I am the way I am, and I do what I do. I want to keep encouraging you here at Sage Spirituality. First of all, I want to ask you, if you've made it this far in the podcast, would you please share this with someone else? I don't care how you do it, just share it. Uh, help us build our community. We can be found on Spotify. We, I, I think every platform, we get, uh, we've gotten a couple contacts for some new platforms, and we're attempting to branch out as much as we can uh, but Apple, uh, Spotify, um, Buzzsprout, all the ones. I'm not a techie, but we've, we're trying to cover all of our bases. Do us a favor. Um, share it. Share it with people in your church. Share it with people in, at your work. Share it with your family. And uh, help us continue to grow our community. Um, number two, would you give us a rating? Help us become more visible. And, uh, and just uh, help us to continue to broaden our table and make it even bigger. 
Now, what I want to do today before we conclude is I want to pray with you. And I want to pray that God would show you what you have to offer to others, what you have to offer to your church, what you have to offer to those who are in darkness. I'm going to tell you this. There's not one candle that's been lit that doesn't have a purpose and a value. That means God has done the work he's done in your life for the benefit of others so that they can see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Let me pray for you. Lord, thank you so much for this incredible community. Thank you for the opportunity to go on this journey through the Gospels and contextualize these incredibly deep stories that have incredible eternal impact in our lives. But today, Lord, I pray a special prayer for each listener, each man, woman, each young person that's listening to this podcast, each person that feels moved by the Holy Spirit, uh, but maybe a little bit intimidated because their talents and their abilities are not necessarily the most visual or the most uh, what they would deem as useful. But God, you have done a work in every one of our lives so that we would be a benefit to other people, so that we would do good works and that we would glorify you. God, I pray right now that you would help us to see even the smallest ways that we can glorify you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to thank you guys so much for being a part of our community. God bless you. And we look so forward to continuing this journey together. Thank you. 